0: Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Then I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: God. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, we are continuing in our study of Jonah, uh, even though we didn't read from Jonah this morning. Uh, we're pausing, as it were, between chapter 2. In chapter 3 of Jonah. Chapter 3, if you've read Jonah, you know, begins with God calling Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes, right? The, the once reluctant prophet of God, the once reluctant witness, uh, obeys God and goes to Nineveh. So we're pausing between chapter 2 and chapter 3 to ask the question, what will move us from reluctance to faithfulness, because we're called to go bear witness as well, to tell people about the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ, Uh, no less so than Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and tell those people about the God who longed to save them from their sin. So what moved Jonah from reluctance to faithfulness? And the answer, of course, is God rescued him. God rescued him. Jonah was running. Uh, God pursued him. Uh, Jonah was thrown over the side of the boat. He sank to the depths of the sea. From there, he cried out to God, and God rescued him. He sent the great fish, and from the belly of the fish, Jonah worshipped God with thanksgiving, and he vowed to obey him. The problem is that by the end of Jonah, by the time you get to the end of the book, Jonah is sulking and complaining about God's desire to save the people of Nineveh. So he went, right? He was faithful to go, but it does raise questions, doesn't it? I mean, he went, but it doesn't seem like he went with God's heart for the people of Nineveh. Somewhere along the way, his love grew cold. And that's where many of us are. Now, the question for Jonah isn't so much what got Jonah going, it's what would have kept Jonah going. And that 550-mile journey as the crow flies between Joppa and Nineveh, and he probably didn't go that route because it would have been crossing across, uh, cutting across the Arabian desert. So however many miles he had to walk, somewhere between the fish spitting him up onto the beach, probably in Joppa, and his arrival in Nineveh, His love grew cold. And that's where so many of us are. If you're a Christian, at some point in your life, you had a Jonah-like experience. You were rescued from the depths of sin and misery. You, You had this amazing experience of God's grace in your life. You realize, finally, right, the chains fell off, my heart set free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This new thing has happened in your life. But somewhere along the way, has your love grown cold? So the question we asked in this pause between chapter 2 and chapter 3, as we kind of put ourselves there with Jonah, on a journey with him, is to ask not only what would have kept Jonah going, but chiefly, what will keep us going? Now, last week, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we talked about just the need for love right? It's, it's not going to be strategy. It's not going to be anything first and foremost other than a love for other people born out of love for God that is itself fueled by our growing understanding of his love for us in Christ. That's the first dynamic that needs to be in place. If we're going to be faithful Christians, you know, period, let alone faithful witnesses to God's grace In the world. Next week, we're going to talk about the need for prayer. Kingdom focused prayer. Prayer for the advance of the gospel. Prayer that God would remove the scales from people's eyes, that He would enliven dead hearts and grant people this gift of salvation. So, next week, kingdom prayer. But this week, personal renewal. Personal renewal. When our love grows cold, like Jonah's did, we need the ongoing work of God to bring renewal in our lives. And in Psalm 27, David tells us the one thing we need in order for that renewal to take place. And that is the day-to-day enjoyment of the presence of God in our lives. God is everywhere present, right? There's nowhere that God isn't. And so there's nowhere that we can be in which God is not present. But the unique blessing of being a Christian is to be able to enjoy the reality of his presence. It's a gift. Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to it as a conscious experience of God's loving presence. It's something that only a Christian gets to Enjoy if we will avail ourselves of that blessing. In Psalm 27, David says that's the one thing he seeks after. That is his one ambition. And it's the one thing that he fears losing more than anything else, including his own life. And that one thing, that experience of God's loving presence in our lives, well, that needs to be our one thing as well. So before we go on in our study of Jonah and talk about prayer for the advance of the gospel and to the ends of the earth, we need to look first at our need for ongoing personal renewal as we pursue the presence of God above all things. And so David in Psalm 27 tells us two things that we must do, and they're both in verse 8. David tells us that we need to accept the invitation, we do to accept the invitation, and then secondly, we need to resolve to enter in. There's points of application throughout the psalm that we'll hit on, but those two things are right there in verse 8. Accept the invitation, and then secondly, resolve to enter in. But before we jump in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that this morning, as we take a look at this portion of your word, you would, by the power of your Spirit, make it live in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who may not yet know you or who long to know you in a deeper way. And Lord, I pray that you would use all the means that you provide and all the power that you provide to help us all to, by your grace, either enter into for the first time or to continue to grow in this enjoyment that you offer to your people of your presence. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, accept the invitation. Take a look at the first part of verse 8. David writes there, you, that is God, you have said, seek my face. Seek my face. When you read the word face in the Bible, in the Old Testament, concerning God, it always has to do with his presence. So God is saying to David, seek my presence. This is a remarkably gracious invitation. Think about what the Bible says concerning who God is. In Psalm 30, I'm sorry, in Exodus 33, this is after the, the golden calf. It's after God has given the law to Moses, and Moses is back up on the mountain. And God says to Moses in Exodus 33, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In Exodus 33, Moses says to God in verses 18 through 20, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, The Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said to Moses, you cannot see my face. You cannot be in my presence as fully as you would like, for man shall not see me and live. In Isaiah chapter 6, it's a familiar passage for many of you, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of God in his heavenly temple. And in the vision, he sees the six-winged seraphim that are flying around the throne of God. And with two wings, they cover their eyes. And two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. And they're crying out that threefold, holy, 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 which is a way in the Hebrew of saying, there's nothing more holy, no one more holy than this God whom they are worshiping. And, and, of course, there's Isaiah with his hand over his mouth saying, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the glory of God. That's not just an Old Testament God. In the New Testament, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, refers to God as a consuming fire. Fire. In chapter 10, the author of Hebrews says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This God says to David, Seek my face. It's a remarkably gracious invitation. But it's not just for David. The seek my face is actually addressed to, it's a plural address. It's not just to David that God is saying, seek my face. David, God is saying this to everyone, to all who will hear. It's an open invitation. Seek my face. This holy God is saying, I want you to be near me. Reminds me a little bit of um, that, that classic, you know, children's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in which C.S. Lewis has Lucy uh, talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan, the Christ figure in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and Lucy says to Mrs. Beaver, "'I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion.'" Mrs. Beaver says, that you will, dearie, and no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. This is our God, our God who is a consuming fire, our God who said to Moses, you can't see all of me and live, says to people, all who will hear, seek my face. It's a gracious invitation. It's an open invitation. So if you have not yet accepted that invitation in your life, let today be the day. Right? Paul in, uh, in 2 Corinthians says, Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time for you... Listen, you will be before the presence of this holy God. You can either know now and begin to experience now the, the joy that is found, the pleasure forevermore at his right hand, or in those moments when you're really thinking about it, you can anticipate being before him with dread... And terror. David in Psalm 16, verse 11, says this In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you've not yet put your hope in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you will be before the presence of God fully one day. You can either know now and begin to experience now the joy and the pleasure that's found forevermore at his right hand, or you can anticipate now with dread and terror being in his unveiled presence without the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, however, don't see this as a one-time invitation Don't see this as something that was just yours on that day. Like, yes, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I accepted that invitation. And now, well, now I guess I'm just kind of on my own. This is why I chose Psalm 27. Right? To think about what it means to be continually growing in our experience as God provides it, of his loving presence. Psalm 27 was a great psalm to look at for that. It's written by David, which means that Jonah would have probably had this psalm memorized. He would have had it on his heart. Remember, when we looked at Jonah chapter 2, and you look at the prayer from the belly of the fish, Jonah is praying psalms. They're just flowing out of him. So like any good you know Jewish person, Jonah had the psalms on his heart. And this psalm was written before Jonah lived. He probably had this psalm on his heart. He could have... He could have been singing, if you will, on the way from Joppa to Nineveh. His journey from Joppa to Nineveh could have been according to the rhythm of Psalm 27. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. There's one thing I desire, O God, to be in your presence forever. That wasn't just a one-time thing when you rescued me from the depths of the sea. Even now, O God... You invite me in. Jonah seems to have lost that conscious experience of God's love that he had in the fish by the time he reached Nineveh. He need not have, and neither must we. Accept the invitation. The Lord says, seek my face. Seek his face. How? Second point, resolve to enter in. Resolve to enter in. Look at the next part of verse 8. My heart, David says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Now, why do I use the word resolve? And you just had to read through the rest of the, of the psalm, of Psalm 27, to hear David talking about the trials that he was facing in his life. There are all kinds of hardships that David faced. Go back and read, you know, First, Second Samuel, and First Kings, and you will be reminded there of all the things that David faced, self-inflicted things and things outside of him that happened trials that could have served to distract him from the one thing he says here in psalm 27 matters above all else you are facing trials right now that would distract you from the one thing that matters the one thing you need in order to endure those trials which is a conscious experience of the abiding love of god for his own in jesus christ So trials can serve to distract us. Temptations to sin can draw us away. Right? We have a spiritual enemy who would seek... You know, David's facing literal human enemies. We have a spiritual foe who would seek to draw us away. He can't draw us away from the salvation that we have in Christ. He can't draw us away from our union to Jesus Christ by faith. But our conscious enjoyment of that union with Christ... We can be drawn away from that, and we are whenever we give ourselves over to sin. There's just the reality of day-to-day life. It's so easy to get caught up in, in all the things that we have to deal with, all the distractions that we have. And we can find ourselves just living with our eyes down to the ground and just plowing through each day rather than as we go through each day asking, how can I go through this day with Jesus? And then, of course, there's our own hearts that are disordered in their loves. David says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And in so many ways, our hearts go astray. We we say that we're seeking God in all things, but our hearts are disordered. Our our loves are out of whack, and we look other places for the love that we can only find in God. So, yes, resolve. Resolve. Make a determination. Decide, I'm going to do this. I'm going to seek the face of God. And then how? David gives us uh, four things that we're going to hit on here uh, just fairly quickly. First, by worshiping God. By worshiping God. How how do you grow in your conscious experience of God's loving presence? By worshiping him. Take a look at verse 4. David says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. And then look down in verse 6, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David is talking about corporate worship, To gaze upon the Lord, to inquire, that's that's to contemplate God, it's to adore God, it's to behold God, it's to admire God, it's just to have your gaze fixed upon God. That's verse 4. The context, end of verse 6, is corporate worship. It's the tabernacle, it's being at the tent, being there with God's people, singing with shouts of joy. So that was the context for David. The context for us is also the assembly of God's people, wherever that may be, right? Climate-controlled building or not. Outside or inside, in a catacomb, in the basement of somebody's home. It's not about the building. It's wherever God's people are gathered together, there is the assembly in which worship takes place. Now, we heard Keiko talk about singing. Singing is such an important aspect of what it means to be together to worship God. But it is not just about the singing. It's ultimately about the entire liturgy of the worship service and the story that that liturgy reminds us of each and every week. Whenever we gather here together, one of the things that we are being... Restoried with. One of the things that we're being reminded of every single week is this glorious story of redemption. Just the very beginning, the call to worship, it's always from God's Word because it's a way to remind us every single week that if God doesn't call us, we'll never worship Him. And so even when we come together each and every week, we are being, if you will, restoried reoriented to that which is true. Now, season one of Stranger Things, which I think is probably the best season so far of Stranger Things, one of the major turning points in that story was when all the kids realized that the magnetic north on their compasses wasn't true north. Remember that? You've seen it, right? I see people my age that are nodding their heads. That's so encouraging to me. A massive amount of energy that's being, uh, that was being uh, generated at this top-secret Department of Energy facility just outside of town, the result of which that the needles on these kids' compasses were being pulled away from True North. And, and that was the turning point in the show when they realized that. Listen, our culture, the, the air in which we bl- breathe, is always pulling our, the, the needle of our heart's compass, if you will, away from its True North. when we come together in worship, just the weekly rhythm of worship, God is pulling the needle of our heart back to its true north, back to being centered upon him. In worship, our hearts are recalibrated. In worship, our hearts are refocused on the beauty of our Lord. Now, we have to participate in that. It doesn't just happen because we've shown up. We have to be thinking about that. We need to be listening and, and praying and participating for that to actually happen. But it, it can happen. How grow in your conscious experience of the presence of God by worshiping Him, simply by being together in a place like this with people like those that are around you, worshiping the one true and living God. But second, by communing with God through His word and prayer. Take a look at verse 11. Verse 11, David says there, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. We can get from that the idea of communing with God through His word. We've been given the Bible, God speaks to us here. Right? We're not looking for some mystical voice from the Lord, some, some transcendent experience in which we hear things that no one else can hear. We have God working, speaking to us right here in his word, communing with God through his word, communing with God through prayer. Just look at Psalm 27, verse 5. No, I'm sorry, verse 6. Actually, verse 7. I promise I'm going to stop with verse 7. If you read through verses 1 through 5, you'll notice that David is just kind of teaching, right? He's just kind of saying things to whoever's listening. But in verse 7, the audience, if you will, shifts. David begins to pray in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Verse 7 down through verse 12, that's prayer. And then verse 13 and 14, he goes back to instruction to all those who are listening. So, praying to God. David is communing with God in prayer, even within this psalm. God's people throughout the ages have taken up Psalm 27 and mated their prayer together corporately. A song that they sung together. Prayer. Communing with God through prayer. Communing with God through His Word. God speaks to us through His Word. We speak to God in prayer. And we cannot overlook the the role of the Holy Spirit in all of that. The Holy Spirit guides us into the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit illumines our minds to believe and understand God's Word. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. The Holy Spirit longs to point us toward Jesus. And so it is right to pray to God and ask God... By his Spirit to do these things in us, that we might commune with the living God through the means that God provides. How do you grow in your conscious enjoyment of the presence of God? By worshiping him, by communing with him through his word and in prayer. Second, David would tell us by remembering his goodness. By remembering his goodness. Look at verse 9. End of verse 9, you see, you see this here. Middle of verse 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. David is, even within the context of that prayer, remembering what God has done to rescue him, remembering God's goodness toward him. Now, down in verse 13, it's really interesting, the the way that this could be translated, um, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You probably have a, a marginal note that says that that could also be translated, Oh, had I not believed that I would look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So it could be that David is reflecting on a trial in his life and thinking, man, what would have happened if I had not banked on the goodness of God during that trial? It's also possible to translate that more like, I wish I had looked upon the goodness of the Lord <laughs> in the course of that trial. Either way, however way you take it, it's, it's all centered on David recognizing, I need to be remembering how good God is. All the time. Right? That pithy little saying, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, existed back then. I think David would have said it. Because God is good. All the time. We need to remember that. David remembered it. We need to remember. We need to wake up, I think, each day saying, I am adopted into the family of God. I am forgiven. I am loved with a love that's inexpressible. The same love that the father has for his son is his love for me because I am in his son. When he looks at me, he he sees the perfection of his son. Well, he sees me as I am as well. But he's committed to my transformation into the image of his son. I am loved with an inexpressible love. I have been adopted into the family of God. I have God as my father. I'm forgiven all these sin, I'm forgiven. I'm safe. I'm safe. I mean, the worst thing that could happen to me on this earth is that I die. And when that happens, I'm in the presence of the Lord forever. Remember his goodness for you. How do you grow in your conscious experience of God's love for you in your day-to-day life? Worshiping him, communing with him through his word and in prayer, remembering his goodness. And then finally, David, I think, ends with just waiting for him. Waiting for him. Not so much waiting for his stuff, or waiting for him to do something for you, but simply waiting for him. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. James, in James chapter 4, verse 8, says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wait for the Lord. So how do we enter into the daily experience of God's loving kindness for us in his son Jesus Christ. Accept the gracious invitation. God says to you, seek my face. Resolve to do so. My heart says to you, your face, O God, will I seek. And then practice the rhythms of grace by which we draw near. Worshiping with God's people, communing with God through his word and in prayer by the power of his spirit, remembering his goodness, and then waiting upon him. David longed to see the beauty of the Lord. That was his one ambition. Where did he do so? For David, it was the tabernacle, because that was the place of sacrifice. That was the place, at the place of sacrifice, where God drew near and communed with his people. Where did Jonah gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? For Jonah, it was the temple. Again, the place of sacrifice. Because it's only through sacrifice that that man can be in the presence of God and not be utterly consumed. Where do we draw near? It's not in the place of sacrifice, it's the person who is sacrificed. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sacrifice by which we are able to draw near to God. And in Jesus, we behold the beauty and the glory of God. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul says. In the face of Christ, we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So we're going to wrap up right here. Personal renewal happens as we turn our eyes upon Jesus through all the trials of life. The trials are inevitable. David had his trials, we have ours. The trials are inevitable, but in God's hands they are pers- they're purposeful. From within the trials we learn to long for Jesus. We learn to long to behold his beauty. We learn what it is to long to finally see him face to face. We learn of his surpassing worth. And even from within the trials, perhaps especially from within the trials, we experience in part the fullness of joy that is found at his right hand. So as we consider the prospect of being in his presence forever. To be better than anything that this world has to offer, we become the kind of people on the move from reluctance to faithfulness in all of life, let alone when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people. Accept the gracious invitation from the holy God Resolve to enter in. Practice the rhythms of grace through which we grow in our conscious experience of his loving presence. Let's pray. Father, the, the things that you offer to us are beyond comprehension. Lord, these things aren't ever untethered from the truth of your word. But Lord, I, I think that there are great and glorious things that you would have us experience in terms of our relationship with you and the reality of your love for us that would warm our hearts more than any climate-controlled room ever could. And so I pray that we would be a people who are, yes, committed to your word, and given over to prayer and seeking to grow in our understanding of the truth and being committed to the truth. But, oh God, would you also make us people who feel deeply your love, who long with our entire being to be in your presence. And as that renewal is taking place in our lives, oh God, would you help us to move out, not reluctantly, but faithfully, even eagerly, to voice your call to seek your face to those who do not yet know you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.